Hello, I'm Rob Buckingham and welcome to the Digging Deeper podcast, episode 88. We dig deep into topics and questions each week to discover what the Bible says. In this episode, we explore the topic of superstitions. What are they? Where did they originate? And most importantly, how should Christians respond to them? Let's find out. So let's start by defining what superstitions are. And for this, I went to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary with, with a really good uh, three-pronged definition of superstition. So first of all, a belief or practice resulting from ignorance, fear of the unknown, trust in magic or chance, or a false conception of causation. Secondly, as part of Merriam-Webster's uh, definition of superstitions, an irrational, abject attitude of mind toward the supernatural nature or God resulting from superstition. And then the third prong, of this definition, a notion maintained despite evidence to the contrary. There's a lot to unpack there, but I'll just highlight a few things. There would be those who view anything outside of the realm of science as superstition. And so people who think that way are called rationalists because they believe everything has a rational explanation. Rationalism increased in popularity greatly throughout the last century, but interestingly, it started to decline from 2008. If you cast your mind back, you'll remember, of course, 2008 was the global financial crisis. And I find that fascinating because rationalism is, is certain. There's, there's an answer for everything and the answer's in science and in rational, logical thinking and religion and faith don't fit into that thought process. But then, of course, in the global financial crisis, everything was shaken, particularly people's certainty. Everything was rocked. And so it seems that rationalism declined ever since that point because people are like, well, okay, we thought there was certainty here and we put our, our faith, as it were, in materialism, but all of this has been shaken. And, and I think of the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you cannot worship God and mammon. And some of the newer translations translate that word mammon as money, but it, that's not correct. Mammon was actually an Aramaic word. And what Jesus was doing in the Sermon on the Mount, he would have been speaking in Koine Greek. And he's using Greek all the way up to the point where he uses mammon, but there wasn't an equivalent word. And so what he does there is he draws on his native tongue because there's no word in Greek um, that, that typifies what mammon is. So mammon is the worship of stuff. It's um, affluenza, if you like. It's someone who's been bitten by the bug and they're suffering from the relentless pursuit of more. And what Jesus is saying there is spot on because we can't worship and be devoted to God, but also relentlessly wanting more stuff at the same time. 
He said, You'll, you can serve one or the other, but you can't serve both. And that's very true. And so during the global financial crisis, that truth was brought home to a lot of people. And so, as I say, ever since that point, rationalism has been in decline. I don't see faith and science as enemies. I see them as wonderful companions. In fact, science will often tell us the how about something, and our faith informs the why. And so I think they're wonderful companions. And I dealt with that in quite a lot of detail in one of the earlier episodes of Digging Deeper. You'll find that in episode four. So you might like to go back, particularly over the summer break, um, when we take a break from Digging Deeper, and uh, that episode is called Science and the Bible, and you might like to revisit that at some point in time. So the important thing, I think, to realise is that not everything can be explained by science. As a pastor, as a Christian, I, over the years I have prayed for numerous people who have asked me to pray and seen miraculous results to those prayers. Not every time, I, I wish. Why? I have no idea. But what I do know is that I always pray for people and if God answers the prayer, I don't take the glory. And if God doesn't answer the prayer, then I don't take the blame. It's a good one, right? And so, of course, God always does answer prayer. And sometimes he answers the prayer as no. And as I said to my kids when they were younger, no is an answer. And so I've, I've prayed for people and seen wonderful results. Sometimes people have had a breakthrough in their finances. Sometimes people have had a physical healing. And then they've gone back to their doctors and told them. And, you know, particularly when something is incurable and then they receive prayer and they go back to the doctor and, and they're healed. And the doctor's mystified quite often because they can't necessarily say why this has happened. Uh, one example really stands out uh, in my thinking, and this happened a number of years ago, a lady in our church um, who Christy and I know really, really well, known the family for many, many years. And uh, she'd gone along to the doctor uh, because she had some pain in her leg and she ended up having a bone scan and the scan showed a really dark black mass uh, on her shin bone. And she had the, the X-ray and she brought it along and she showed us. And so um, she requested prayer. Uh, and with the anointing of oil. And so according to the word of God, if someone asks the elders of the church to pray and to anoint with oil, then we will do so. Um, and so we did. We gathered around her. We laid hands on her. We anointed her with oil. We prayed for her. And uh, then she went back to the doctor. She had some more scans. Um, and, and she thought, uh, so when she was having these scans, she was in the MRI machine for a very long time. And she's lying in there and, and she told us afterwards that she was thinking, oh, my goodness, this is going for a, on for a long time. I must be riddled with cancer. And she was all of these anxious thoughts going through her mind at the same time. And anyway, when she came out of the MRI, she said to the to the doctor, so what was what? Why was why did that take so long? And he said, we try we were trying to find the cancer, but it's gone. And so she brought both sets of x-rays then to church and we ended up scanning them and putting them on the screen in the auditorium. She got up and shared her story and she said, you know, here's x-ray one with a bone 
dark mass and then she said and then i received prayer with the anointing of oil at bayside went back and here's the second x-ray completely clear and she said the doctor had no explanation for me he said that's wonderful the cancer has gone and that's wonderful and so i share that sort of thing and i could share many more stories like that but but that one really stands out that there is absolutely no rational explanation for something like that which is why we call it a miracle because a miracle is um when something goes against the laws of nature so the laws of nature say that that particular lady's cancer should still be there in that leg and over the process of time it should grow uh, unless she received treatment but she never received treatment all she received was prayer and and it made the difference and so it's a miracle but there are superstitions uh, with which Christians should have nothing to do, as suggested by the definitions that I read earlier. And so just touching on those definitions very quickly, uh, a belief or a practice resulting from ignorance, fear of the unknown, trust in magic or chance or a false conception of causation. Uh, people of faith, we shouldn't be uh, doing anything from ignorance or anything from fear of the unknown. Um, in fact, fear is not to grip our lives. You can't be in faith and fear at the same time. And and the, pardon me, the most often mentioned commandment in the scriptures is fear not, do not fear. People of faith, we should not be trusting in magic or chance and, and a false conception of causation, believing that, this caused that x causes y and we see this reflected in the scriptures um in in john chapter 9 the disciples of jesus come across this man that was born blind and the disciples asked jesus they said rabbi who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind and so they're looking for the cause why was this guy born blind and they're suggesting two possible options he either sinned or it was his parents and and god's punishing this boy because his parents did the wrong thing and jesus corrects that and we find that false belief corrected all the way through scripture uh the old testament as well as the new that it's that our suffering in life is not the cause of our sin or our parents sin usually now there are times where say uh we're living in a household for example with family members and say um one of the family members say the father of the household is a gambler and he gambles away all the family's money and so then the family is starving because of the sin of the father so they are affected in that way but there is not some mystical thing of well you know the dad sinned and now god's going to visit that on the kids that's a false notion and and so it, a person's sin may cause their suffering but not all suffering is caused by sin and i'm happy to go into a bit more detail on that uh in another program but but i won't go in any more on that tonight but it really is an interesting um topic uh, in scripture you know the sins of the parents visited 
on the second and third generation and and all of that kind of stuff. I'll do some teaching on that uh, in a in a future episode. Um, we still hear superstitious comments made by Christians about things like that, where people say, you know, well, you've you're suffering because you've got sin in your life. That statement is superstition. It's wrong. Uh, if you had enough faith, you wouldn't be suffering. Uh, that is superstition. So uh, an irrational abject attitude of mind is the second part of this definition toward the supernatural nature or God resulting from superstition. And then finally, it's a notion maintained despite evidence to the contrary. And I've met people like this. I've met Christians like this where you try and explain to them. They've, they've got this notion as to why things are like they are. We saw a lot of this during the the um, COVID-19 pandemic where people, they were fearful, they didn't know what was going on, and so they made up stories that then became real to them even though there was no foundation in truth. And I spent a lot of the pandemic, those couple of years during lockdown, um, trying to share truth with people to lead them out of fear through these conspiracies, but they'd already, many of them had already made their minds up. There was a notion that was maintained despite evidence to the contrary. Well, I believe that and that's what I believe and you can tell me anything and, and you're not going to change my mind. And that's, that's pretty sad. So they're the three prongs of the Merriam-Webster definition, which I think are, are really worth reflecting on. And I'll come back in just a moment because some superstitions are funny or harmless and have much more to do with good luck and bad luck. We'll touch on that in just a moment. We hope you're enjoying this Digging Deeper podcast and finding help understanding the Bible and how it applies to life. Here at Digging Deeper, we'd appreciate your help letting others know about this podcast. One way to do this is by rating and reviewing the podcast on iTunes. And please like Rob Buckingham's public figure page on Facebook. You can interact with us there and ask questions you'd like Rob to answer in future episodes of Digging Deeper. Now back to Rob. So as I say, some superstitions are funny or harmless and have much more to do with either good luck or bad luck. And and I know that I've talked to Christian people who go, well, you know, I don't believe in luck. Um, I mean, we believe in God's blessing. It's not luck. Well, I, I do disagree with that statement. And I and don't get me wrong, I agree with the blessing of God and, and I'm grateful for God's blessings. But there, there are some things in life that are just good luck or bad luck. I'm thinking of one example particularly. I, I haven't played pool or billiards for a very long time. I used to play a lot uh, in my youth um, and young adult years, and I always enjoyed playing pool, but I'm not particularly good at it. And, you know, when you do the break, when you do your break shot right at the beginning, and there are options. Yeah, My delight was to slam that thing as hard, hard as I could and break those balls um, and, and on occasion, a ball would sink into a pocket. Sometimes it was the black ball, and that was never a good thing. But, um, you know, it, often it was just one of the other balls or sometimes the white ball, whatever. Whatever ball went into a pocket was just pure luck. There was no skill <laughs> on my part uh, in the break shot. So we need to face it that some things in life are just luck. 
their success or their failure that is apparently brought by chance rather than one's own actions. Uh, another example, a recent example in our family, uh, because we have a lot of people in our household, we just made a decision a number of years ago to buy a second washing machine. So in our laundry, we have two washing machines. Um, and then one of them, the newer of the machines, has has been an absolute horror of a machine and it, it, it just breaks down over and over and over again. And so it broke down again about two months ago. Someone came out, fixed it. It broke it down again two weeks later. Someone came back, a different person, and said, yeah, the guy that was here before hasn't fixed it properly, but I've fixed it now. It lasted for a week and it's broken down again. And 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 the guy's coming back on Thursday this week. And so I'm hoping that that washing machine will be fixed. But in the midst of all of that, the older machine just stopped working. And we've tried everything. We switched it off at the wall, put it back on again, and, and all of that, but it's, it won't work. So right now we don't have a washing machine. And it's it's not because we've sinned. It's not because we've got superstition. It's just bad luck that both machines have gone at the same time. So last night I bundled up all of the washing to help Christy and I took it down to our local laundromat, put it in there, went and picked it up half an hour later and brought it home. We hung it up and now it's all clean and dry. It's just bad luck. And we've got to face it that there are some things in life that are just like that. There's plenty of examples. Some things are good luck and some things are bad luck. But some of those things are reflected through superstition. And so some examples there. Friday the 13th is viewed as bad luck, as is the number 13. Walking under a ladder is said to be bad luck, as is breaking a mirror. Opening an umbrella inside a house is bad luck. And then, of course, bad things always come in threes. Have you ever heard people say that? Something bad happened and then something bad happened and they go, oh, there's going to be another thing. And, um, and but, but the good thing is, of course, that you can knock twice on wood and that reverses bad luck. So if you heard people say, you know, well, touch wood, and I always knock my head, you know, at that point because I want to touch wood. Touch wood, that won't happen, and all of that. Touching wood, by the way, is a pagan belief that evil spirits inhabited wood and that if you expressed hope for the future, you should touch or knock on wood to prevent the spirits from hearing. You deafen them and presumably then preventing your hopes from coming true. There are other superstitions that bring good luck, apparently. If you get an itchy palm of your hand, it's said to be good luck, as is finding a horseshoe. And then there's tossing of spilled salt over your shoulder. Maybe you've come across that. There's a superstition that says that if you spill salt, that it will bring you bad fortune, but if you take a pinch of the spilled salt and throw it over your left shoulder, it cancels out the bad luck. Now, apparently it's got to be the left shoulder because superstition uh, says that that's where the devil sits. He sits on your left shoulder. And so the tossing of salt over your left shoulder tosses it in the devil's eyes and keeps the devil away. Obviously, these examples are of meaningless superstition, most of which are rooted in pagan beliefs. There's another superstition where people say, you know, well, fingers crossed, fingers crossed, and we cross our fingers for good luck. 
the crossing of fingers, by the way, comes again from pagan superstition. Uh, the intersection of the fingers was thought to mark a concentration of good spirits and served as an anchor uh, for a wish so it could come true. Uh, plenty of others, uh, people have asked questions about different uh, superstitions. If you want any other examples, I encourage you to Google the origins of those superstitions and, uh, you'll, as I say, you'll find plenty of, of answers there. Should Christian people respond to superstitions? Great question. Should people or how should Christian people respond to superstitions? I'm going to offer uh, three things that I that I think will be helpful to uh, navigate superstitions in life. And the first of them is this. Don't get uptight about superstitions. There are some that are just, they're harmless and, and some that can be fun. I, I remember as a kid, uh, my older sister and my younger brother and I, uh, mum would roast a chicken on a fairly regular basis. And so she would uh, make sure that we all took turns in having the wishbone. And so if it was your turn for the wishbone, you'd, you'd wait for it to dry out a little bit. Uh, and then you'd share it with somebody around the family table and pull it. And the person with the biggest part of the wishbone would make a wish. I, I don't remember as a child thinking particularly that the wish would come true. My memories of that were it was just a bit of fun for us as a family. And so we did that with the kids when they were younger and they'd all go, oh, can I have the wishbone? Can I have the wishbone? No, no, it's not your turn. It's Paris's turn. She gets the wishbone, blah, 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 blah. So I find kids love that kind of thing. That's the sort of superstition that you grow out of, though. You don't take it into your adult life. <laughs> Still wanting, like, uh, my adult kids don't fight over the wishbone now. It's just we don't even talk about the wishbone. It was just a bit of fun. It's the same as like when someone sneezes and we say, God bless you for a sneeze. There's nothing inherently wrong in that. Uh, understanding the history, though, in ancient times, people believed that sneezing at the point of the sneeze was the possibility for evil spirits to enter your body. And so people would say, God bless you, because they believed that saying God bless you kept the evil spirits away. Centuries later, during the Great Plague in Europe, Pope Gregory I suggested saying God bless you after a person sneezed in the hopes that this prayer would protect them from an otherwise certain death. Now, I don't know whether that had any particular impact during the plague. Obviously, this is a superstition, but not one that we should get uptight about. If you say, God bless you to somebody, mean it. Uh, I often will say that if I hear someone sneeze, I say, God bless you. And they say, thank you. And, and so there's nothing wrong with saying that. And, and I don't think we should get uptight about things like that. Uh, I remember being in a, in a particular setting many years ago. It was in a a word of faith church uh, in another country. I'd been invited to be a guest speaker in the church and a uh, wonderful church, but they're very, being word of faith, they were very sensitive about words. And so, the you know, death and life is in the power of the tongue. And I agree with that. That's in Proverbs. But I think they take it to an extreme where you've got to watch everything you say. And I said, they were, I was told about something and I said, oh, that's fantastic. And then I got told off. And you shouldn't say fantastic because that's a word that means fantasy. And so you shouldn't say fantastic. And I said, oh, okay, I'm sorry. But then I got nervous. And um, 
and and the conversation continued and someone else said something great and I said oh that's fantastic oh sorry I'm not supposed to say fantastic anyway I I got more and more nervous and the more nervous I got the more I said fantastic and and so I felt like people got uptight with me in that setting and the more they got uptight the more I ended up saying fantastic and I th- I'm sure I left there they all thought oh my goodness you know he's a very ungodly guy because he keeps saying fantastic all the time but fantastic is just a word and we shouldn't get hung up about words and we shouldn't get hung up about superstitions paul gave this advice to timothy good advice this is 2 timothy chapter 2 and verse 14 warn god's people against quarreling about words it is of no value and certainly there was no value from the conversation uh, around the dinner table uh, amongst those lovely Christian people on that night. In any case, they're wrong. <laughs> fantastic doesn't come from the word fantasy. The word fantastic actually is an ancient Greek word, and it means uh, to be able to imagine something or to make visible by the imagination and so and it was only in the last century that the english word fantastic came to mean wonderful or marvelous or fabulous it has nothing to do with fantasy actually means to be able to imagine something and the scriptures are full of writing that stir the imagination think about all of the poetry in scripture the parables pictures prophecies God is for our imagination and he seeks to engage with it. Paul wrote these words to the Ephesian church. He says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. So I reckon that that is a fantastic verse of scripture. And so my advice is for Christians not to get uptight with people about superstitions. You don't need to go around correcting people. We all know people like that. Don't be one of them. It's so annoying. If someone asks your opinion, that's a different matter. But don't go around correcting people. Um, Meet them where they're at. Find common ground. You don't need to be constantly correcting people. You know, if you sneeze and then someone says, well, God bless you. Well, don't say God bless you because don't you know that's rooted in ancient paganism when people thought that evil spirits, oh, sorry, for I wasn't asking for a lecture. I was just saying God bless you. And so just don't be one of those annoying people. The second thing is take responsibility for your own behavior. And I think this is really important. This is how Christian people should respond to superstitions. Take responsibility for your own behavior. We're not meant to control or correct other people, but we are to take responsibility for our own behavior. For example, I don't live in fear of Friday the 13th. To me, it's just another day. I don't wake up on Friday the 13th and go, oh, no, no, stay in bed all day just in case something bad is going to happen. Neither do I cross my fingers for good luck. I don't toss salt over the left shoulder to blind the devil. I don't do any of that. Um, And so I take responsibility for my own behavior. There are other superstitions, I reckon, that make a world of sense. For example, if I see a ladder, I don't walk under it, not because I think it's going to bring me bad luck, I think it could injure me. I think someone could be on the ladder 
and maybe they're painting or something and they could drop the tin of paint on my head and hurt me. Or maybe I would bump the ladder and knock the person off or whatever. So if I see a ladder, I will walk right around it. I think it just makes sense. Uh, neither do I open an umbrella indoors because it could easily knock things over or it could hurt somebody standing nearby. That superstition, by the way, was rooted in common sense. Uh, it was back when, I think in the Victorian era, when umbrellas were first invented with a spring-loaded mechanism and sometimes the spring load would, would break and the thing would shoot off the end and hurt someone or break something. And so people would say, don't open an umbrella inside a house because it could bring bad luck. Those things are common sense and not superstition. And then thirdly, realize that God is opposed to anything that causes people harm. And this is really, really important. Uh, this is how I read scripture. Uh, a lot in the scriptures that, that we think are legalistic are actually written there because God knows that doing that will harm you or harm somebody else. And so God's opposed to anything that will cause people harm. The scriptures say that God is love. I love that. Not that God has love or, or God acts in a loving way, which he does as well, but that God is love. So God's essence, if you like, is love. And God loves people. And so God is opposed to anything that would harm people. Let me read some scripture to you about this. Ezekiel chapter 13 and verses 20 and 21. Listen to this closely. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against your magic tar charms with which you ensnare people like birds, and I will tear them from your arms. I will set free the people that you ensnare like birds. I will tear off your veils and save my people from your hands, and they will no longer fall prey to your power. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So listen to the language there. God is against those things not because they are magic charms in and of themselves and God hates magic charms. What God hates is anything that ensnares or entraps people. He wants to set free. He says, I will set free the people that you ensnare. I will save my people that fall prey to your power. So listen to the words of God there. He, he is opposed to anything that causes people harm. Precious people were and are trapped by superstitious magic, and God sent his prophet with a message of deliverance. And, and, and much of the ancient superstition, of course, led to child sacrifice. Listen to the words of Deuteronomy chapter 12 and verse 31. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way, because in worshipping their gods, they do all kinds of detestable things the Lord hates. They even burn their sons and daughters in the fire as sacrifices to their gods. So God obviously hates that. I would hate that. I would hate it if people sacrificed their children. I would hate it if I had to sacrifice one of my kids. And it was all because of superstition, because in the ancient world, people believed that to appease a God, to keep a God happy, you had to sacrifice your kids. And so God comes along and he goes, no, you don't, don't, you don't, don't need to 
sacrifice your children. And as a temporary stopgap, God said it's better to sacrifice an animal than it is to sacrifice children. And so what we see in Scripture is God weaning people away from child sacrifice onto animal sacrifice, but God didn't want animal sacrifice either. And so in the arc of Scripture as it moves, what we see finally, of course, is that Jesus becomes the once and for all sacrifice, once and for all people, once and for all time. And so by the sacrifice of Jesus, sacrifice and offering has been done away with once and for all. Why? Because it's all rooted in ancient superstition that we have to sacrifice something to keep the gods happy because the gods want blood. And, and I'm glad that we don't worship in that way anymore. I'm sure you are too. Uh, the verse before um, in Deuteronomy warns about being ensnared by pagan practices God seems to be particularly concerned with anything that could entrap and harm people. And so the scriptures warn against things like the occult, magic, sorcery, witchcraft, astrology, uh, and idolatry. Uh, I was very involved uh, in, in astrology as a young person. My mum and dad were as well, and we had friends that were. They would come around. We'd spend the whole night over dinner talking about um, astrology and uh, seances and astral projection and all this kind of stuff. And I was fascinated in the supernatural, but I was also an atheist. I didn't believe in God. But, of course, finally I became a Christian and then I gave up my astrological and occult practices um, because they bound me. And what I found was that after those nights with my parents and their friends, all I felt on the inside was a massive amount of fear. And when I came to Jesus, uh, having that fear taken away was absolutely wonderful. Speaking of King Manasseh, Chronicles warns of things that harm people, thus causing God to be angry. And I quote, this is from, uh, from Chronicles, he sacrificed his children in the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, that is um, Gehenna, in the New Testament, Ben-Himon, which was a place of fire where children were sacrificed, okay? That then became a picture of, uh, of punishment, if you like, in the New Testament. Practiced divination and witchcraft, sought omens and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, talking of King Manasseh arousing his anger, arousing the Lord's anger. Why was God angry about this? Because, well, children were sacrificed. Precious, innocent children lost their lives. That would make us angry as well as God, right? And people were ensnared by superstition, ancient superstition. So God was angry and God wanted to then um, provide a way into freedom for the people who were thus entrapped. Isaiah speaks of superstitious practices, wearing people out, again, harming people. I quote Isaiah here. All the counsel you have rejected has only worn you out, talking of superstition. Um, Isaiah there is writing about stargazing astrologers and those practices that I engaged with in my teenage years wore me out and it was wonderful to come to Jesus and, uh, and be liberated and to be filled with his Holy Spirit. And then there's this fascinating insight in the book of Acts about some of the first Christians in the city of Ephesus. In Acts chapter 19 and verse 19, a number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together 
and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. That's pretty amazing. So these people in Ephesus, obviously a lot of superstition, a lot of occult practices, sorcery happening in the town. Uh, Paul and some of his team go into Ephesus. They start preaching the good news about Jesus and people come to faith in Christ who had come from superstitious backgrounds and occult backgrounds. And their, their salvation was so radical that they brought all of their scrolls, their occult scrolls together and had a public bonfire. How amazing. And someone did the sums. They calculated the value of the scrolls. The total came to 50,000 drachmas. Now, we're not actually sure of how much a drachma was worth other than a rough equivalent. So one drachma in the first century in Ephesus was equivalent to a day's wage. So just averaging this out, right? So the average day's wage in Australia in 2023 is $306 a day. Now, I know some of you are thinking right now, my goodness, that's a lot of money. Other people are thinking, oh, wow, I'm actually paid more than that. So, But that's the average, right? $306 a day. That's a day's wage. So 50,000 drachmas is $15,300,000. So that's a, that's a pretty big commitment of these people, but they were so excited about being set free by Jesus. They just brought all the stuff that used to ensnare them and entrap them, all of their superstition, and they brought it together and, and, and had a big bonfire. I think that's wonderful. The Bible teaches that there is an evil spirit world, but it also makes it clear that God is in charge. Those who fully trust in him have nothing to fear from the devil or his demons. And I think it's really important. I hear Christians talking about the devil did this and the devil did that. Absolute rubbish. You know, you need to have a big God and a little devil, not the other way around. And then there's some uh, other examples, and I'll, I'll wrap this discussion on superstitions up with this, but some other examples of superstitions and myths that we Christians should avoid. And I, I hear these from time to time amongst well-meaning Christians. I've heard Christians, for example, talk about having an open Bible in their home because apparently that keeps the devil away or keeps evil spirits away. That is religious superstition. Um, another superstition, if we pray hard enough or if we pray long enough, God will answer our prayers. Jesus addressed that in his Sermon on the Mount and he talks about the pagans um, thinking that they will be heard because of their many words and their repetitious prayers. He says, nah, when you pray, keep it short and sweet. And he gave us an example. He said, the Lord's Prayer, right, which you can say in 15 seconds. Um, short, sweet prayer, not this repetition. If we pray hard enough, we pray long enough, God will answer our prayer. It's like twisting the arm of God. You know, I'm not going to shut up until you answer my prayer. Uh, that kind of thing. That's just religious superstition, have nothing to do with that. Another superstition that we Christians can fall into is performing certain outward gestures or actions so that God will listen to us. If I do this, God will do that. We reduce God down to like push button. You know, if I push button A, God will give me B. And that's just superstition. Another one, doing good works will put us in God's good books. No, we do good works because we are already in God's good books. God is love. God loves you. 
There's nothing you can do to add to the way God loves you, okay? But it's because of the love of God that's constrained us that we want to do good to other people around us. We don't do it to earn brownie points with God. Maybe you can think of some others, but I think that that will suffice for now. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. A new episode of Digging Deeper is out every Wednesday. If you like this podcast, please share it with others and rate and review us on iTunes. That goes a long way to help others find us. If you have a question or topic you'd like Rob to address, please get in touch with us at Rob Buckingham's Public Figure Facebook page or email connect at baysidechurch.com.au. Join us next week when Pastor Rob does a deep dive into religious trauma. The scriptures contain themes of murder, rape and eternal punishment. Many of these topics can traumatise the reader. How are we to balance our reading and study of the scriptures with our very real experiences of trauma? All that and more on next week's episode of Digging Deeper.